But I will invite you to listen to the scripture. Notice in this first story of the leper, as David reads, that something happens after the leper is healed. And notice why the leper is healed. But something happens after that that I want to focus on a little bit today. And then comes two other healings. One to the hated enemy and one to a mother-in-law. David? When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. He stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose. Be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed, and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, In no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and a gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to serve him. Holy wisdom, holy word. So, what's epiphany? What is an epiphany? A realization. Right? That aha moment. That that time where we realize something and potentially even are redefined by it. And that's where I want to head a little bit this morning. We keep the star up because it's going to move its way out. Because our hope in the midst of this time is to be illumined. That there might be illumination that happens on some things. And particularly right now as a church, we're in that moment. But here's how I'd like to get there. I want to talk about two medical things this morning. The first is Dorothy's surgery. 
And I shared this with her the other day that, that I was going to talk about this. And after rolling her eyes, <laughs> and after a little begging and groveling, um, she, she relented and said I could do this. But I want to tell you that, that to, to prepare for that, you know, we've talked about Matthew as being kind of the everybody's in gospel and, and, and that this needs to be a place where all are welcome. But there's something that has to happen, not only in the midst of that, but even after that. It's one thing to say all are welcome. It's another to say all are welcome to kind of stay exactly where they are. And we're a church, and our role is to help people become equipped to be better and deeper and even stronger and more well-balanced. Dorothy had major surgery about eight years ago, and, and out of that surgery came, came other issues. And over time, those issues got worse and worse and worse and worse until about finally six or seven months ago, there was the recognition that something had to be done. There was such a level of discomfort that, that we made the decision that this was the time that something had to be done. And so we went and found a place with folks that we knew we could trust. Our primary care physician was the first one because we knew that Nahid, his name is Nahid Esmail, and he is a, a DO that works out of Swedish here in Factoria. And we, we have great, uh, phenomenal trust in Nahid. And he has been nothing but compassionate and, and incredible in the midst of this. And we know we could go to that place and share exactly what it was that was going on and that he would be able to examine in ways that would help us understand even deeper what was going on. But even then, Nahid said, I don't know enough about this. And I want to refer you to others who may know more than I do. I hope what you're doing in the midst of this is understanding that this is a metaphor for the church. And, and so Nahid sent us to, you know, we went through four others, I think, three or four others, until we came to Dr. Veljevich, who was this amazing young man. At Swedish, and who most of his practice was oncology with cancer. But what he did is he dealt with some of the issues that we were dealing with as a positive response because he could um, to what can be a very hard and negative kind of role as a doctor. He was wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And encouraged surgery, and, and so we decided that surgery was going to be that which was going to potentially change her life and give her a quality of life that she hadn't seen in even well beyond eight years. So we set up surgery, and there were specific things that needed to happen to lead up to that surgery, specific requirements that, that would prepare and give more information and then prepare Dorothy for that time. Specific things. It was a very strategic approach. And then came the day of surgery. And we arrived there, and there was all the preparation that happened right before surgery. The anesthesiologist came in, and we spent some time with him, and, and then the surgery came. The surgery was longer by at least twice. And in one conversation, it was three times longer than what I thought it was going to be. And I remember the doctor coming out after surgery, as you know they do. Um, I'll bet Andrew is just incredible with that kind of thing. But, 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 and came out and said, Brad, I gotta tell you that it took me three tries 
It took me three tries to get things exactly where they needed to be. Three tries. And I looked at him and I said, thank you for not giving up. And I meant that. Because he didn't give up. He kept going back and kept trying. And that didn't quite get it where it needed to be. And he tried again. And that didn't quite get it where it needed to be. And he tried again. And on the third, third time truly was the charm. But it was a long surgery, and it was a long day. And, and I remember that day of some of you sitting with me at the hospital. And you'll hear a little bit in, in just a moment that I'm one who often tries to deal with things alone. And in situations like this, it's not good, and it's certainly not healthy. But here's the deal. Surgery wasn't the end. And many of you, I'm looking around, many of you have had surgery. Surgery is not the end. In many cases, surgery is the new beginning. But if you stop there, if Dorothy stopped here, to a great extent, that surgery would go for naught. Until and unless she does what she needs to do post-surgery, she will not get where she needs to go to become fully whole and fully healthy. Healing is only one step. And the beginning of the healing is only the first step in the process. It is for us, and it was in that day. If you notice in the scripture what, what Jesus said to the leper, first of all, the leper found out, figured out that he was in need. And he came to Jesus and said, If you're willing, you can make me whole. Are you willing? Jesus immediately says, I am willing. And he laid his hands in that disease and healed that leper. Or did he? Because immediately after that, what he says to the leper is now, don't tell anyone and go to the priest and offer an offering of thanksgiving. Because, by the way, I didn't do the healing. You offer that offering because God did the healing. I was but a conduit, is basically what he's saying. But I think there's one more thing underneath that. He has to go back to the temple because that is the place of, of accountability and it is the place of community. And once we're healed, there has to be some level of community. There has to be. We can't do this alone. As much as we may believe we can, we can't. Healing doesn't happen in a vacuum. Then you have the centurion and that story and that servant and that faith. Him too recognizing that there was a need there. He approached the one to whom he knew he could turn for that healing and did it in an incredibly faith-filled way. And there's the mother-in-law. Friends, there's a menu for us as a church. There's one thing to say, everybody's in. But there's not one of us in this service or the service before or those who are going to fill CenturyLink Field today who don't in some way need more help, who don't in some way have something in their lives that needs healing. That, 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 that feel like they have all the answers. Every one of us needs this. 
So why can't we be that place that does this? But I want to take it into a much, much more personal way today. And share with you why I'm standing in front of you this morning. Just before my 20th birthday, I was an aerialist skier and doing demonstration skiing for Hexel Skis. That was a ski company back in the day. And they had come out with a whole new lightweight ski that was honeycombed rather than made out of wood. It was made out of a, a what, not the same carbon fiber that we have today, but a different kind of carbon fiber. And I worked for them and would show how wonderful these skis were by doing aerialist kind of stunts. It was March 4th, the end of the ski season. The snow was wet. This was in Mount Spokane. We had done 42 runs that day. 42 runs that day doing flips and jumps. Neither Matt or I knew how exhausted we were. And we came and we had built jumps um, that would put us about 30 feet in the air and and particularly cross jumps. And uh, on this last run of the day, I remember going up this direction and Matt came up after me. And we were just going to do um, tail scratchers, which are you know lifting the, the backs of your skis up and you know kind of spreading your arms out. And so your ski tips are down as you're straight up and down. He came out just a fraction of a second too early. And as we were both going up, he hit the tails of my skis and sent me up into the air in a very unbalanced way and flipped me over in a way, 30 feet in the air, where I came down on the back of my head and, and crushed three vertebrae. And then had to make a turn, because there was a drop-off at the end, had to make a turn, and you can see the scar on top of my head where he was out of control and his ski cut open my head right here. I was knocked unconscious, and I came to not realizing that I couldn't feel anything on my left side. Got up skied down on one ski, dragging the other behind with my left arm dangling and was tackled toward the bottom of the hill by a man who became a mentor and a dear friend and happened to be the first funeral that I did as a pastor. Leaf. Tackled me, called the ambulance, came in, and I was paralyzed. Half of my body. And particularly the upper left quadrant. I want you to think about that from someone going from a place where you are absolutely immortal and can do anything. We would climb cliffs without ropes. We would do anything that would put us on the edge. And that was the way life was. To being transformed. And now, life in a split second becomes absolutely and totally redefined. What do you do with that? I remember coming to, finally, in the hospital, and there at the foot of my bed, I don't remember how long I was out, but at the foot of my bed, but you'll remember this guy, was the vice principal from Lewis and Clark High School in 1974, and had been there for years. And I I will share a first service. I said, he made you look like a saint. (laughs) But he was an amazing human being. I graduated from high school the summer before this. But he'd heard about it and made sure that he was there at the foot of my bed. And you know what he said to me? This guy who I thought was the meanest um, guy that I'd ever seen. He said, Brad, I want to pray for you. And he did. 
And that was the beginning of what God sent over the next year. In the midst of that, there was an incredible time of depression, an incredible time of redefinition. And I will share now with you that it was the only time in my life where I felt like I wanted to commit suicide. It was an incredibly difficult, dark time. And yet, continually, God sent these lights into my life that began to steer me in a different direction, moving from darkness into light. One of the guys was Mike Bigley, and I've talked about Mike before. He was also this kind of crotchety old guy whose hands were completely gnarled because he'd spent his whole life building hand-hewn log homes and thought this might be an opportunity for this young man having gone gone back to Olympia because it was the only place I could go to go back and live at home feeling like an absolute failure. And Mike had heard about it, and he said, you know, I need somebody to help me. And I I had regained feeling at that time, but there was such atrophy on the side that it it, it just needed to be rebuilt. And Mike took me in and and taught me how to build log homes and do carpentry work and, and what craftsmanship was all about, and I didn't know until one day Mike sat me down. I remember straddling these two logs on his property in Olympia that we had just peeled. And he said, Brad, I want to talk to you about something. I, I want to talk to you about, about how God has sent me to take care of you. I had no idea this guy was a Christian, but he was. And then in walks you know, into my life, Tim Bigelow, uh, the youth director at Olympia First Church, says, I need somebody to help play guitar and and I understand that you need some dexterity work, and so let's play guitar together for youth group. And then went to camp and, and learned how to do this at camp. And then, I mean, over and over and over, there were those who were sent there to rebuild this young man. My first business partner, no idea that he was Christian, but he was, and taught me an ethic that I had never seen before. Sometimes it takes hard decisions to do the right thing. Began to reach out to other, particularly at-risk youth on the hilltop in Tacoma. And something began to stir in the midst of that. Well, friends, I I share that story with you not to share just my history. But I share that story with you because that's what a church needs to be. That's my vision for Aldersgate is that we are able, with the giftedness that we have in this place, and the giftedness that's in this place is enormous, that we become that place where everybody feels that they can come here no matter if they're absolutely desperate or suicidal or struggling with their sexuality or doing anything where they know that they need some help and that they know that these doors will welcome them with open arms. But it cannot stop there. We have to realize that first and foremost, we are a body of Christ centered on Christ. And that doesn't mean that as we self-identify as Christian, that that says to us that we are judgmental. We are not. That we self-identify as Christian and maybe offer an alternative to some of the other forms of Christianity that we see in the community. And say it out loud. You are welcome here. But we're not going to stop 
with helping you find us. We're going to now help you rebuild under the guidance of Scripture. These beatitudes that help us understand what real love is. And that everything we do in a church is centered there. Everything we do is centered there. The role of the finance committee is not to protect the money in the church. The role of the finance committee is to make sure that we are good stewards of what we're given. Because we're centered first on Christ. The role of the trustees is not to protect the property. The role is to dream about what this property can come that will introduce others to what we already see in this place. And that is the love and grace and acceptance and wonderment. And yeah, good stewards of the land. But it's time to dream. God is calling us to be those folks that were there for me in my life. God is calling us to be at the foot of those hospital beds. God is calling us to be the voice in the community of those that do not have voices. God is calling us to be the action and to build up. And here's the dirty word. You ready? Discipleship. I want to reclaim that word. I want that word to mean something that isn't what we see all too often out there. A preacher who would in some incredibly abusive way, talk about the fact that a two-year-old could go to hell because they didn't accept Jesus as their Savior. Are you kidding me? We need to be the other voice. And it is time to step up and be that other voice. And those sign-up sheets out there are going to help us do this. Every single one of us, and you need to hear this, every single one of us needs to be a part of it. We can't do it alone. Healing does not happen in a vacuum. Healing happens in community. When we support Christy going to Ethiopia, we do it as a community because we want those folks to find health and wholeness. When Jennifer goes to Nepal with her family, we want to support her because there is health and wholeness out there. But by the way, it's also reciprocal. I mean, both of you would say you receive as much, if not more, by giving. It's amazing the miracle of how that happens. We are a Christian church. We are a potentially different variety. But we are a place of healing. And let's get systematic in the same way that I was surrounded. Let's get systematic in our approach and focused on our approach, that first and foremost, we are centered there. First and foremost, we are centered there. I need your help. We need your help to overcome this $50,000 deficit, but a new stewardship campaign is being formed right now. We need your help to rebuild this place. And not rebuild because there's there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. We just got to go farther. And I need your help to do that. I have some ideas about that that you're going to hear about on Saturday. I don't have the answers or all of them. But together we do. Let's take this on. And let me end by quoting the great prophet Lowe's. 
Let's build something together. What do you say? Let's build something together. Will you pray with me? God, you were there in the darkest times for me. And I stand before you as a pastor at Aldersgate United Methodist Church because people along that path steered me in that direction. My daughter is called to ministry partly because of this place. I look through this congregation and I see who's coming here and the conversation that happened between services with a father with an autistic son who is desperate to find help and support and believes that this is the place where we can offer that and where he can receive it. And I can go down list after list after list of people who have found that here. But let's spread our arms wider. God, help us do that. Let's get more strategic and more practical and more secure with more voices engaged so that we can spread the arms of love and grace and acceptance and renewal and healing and life in greater ways than we could ever have dreamt of alone. Guide us in this time, God. Guide us in this time. Keep us together in this time. All this I ask in Christ's name. Amen.